You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. And welcome to the show, everyone. Back with a lot of exciting sports to cover off. Trevor, weekend's coming to an end again, but how are you doing? Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Ken, it doesn't matter how I'm doing. This is all about you, this intro. You're going to be a daddy. I am. This yes. is very exciting. At the BleacherCon 3 coming soon, <laughs> April April 2023. I, very exciting for you and your family, Ken. I I've known now for a little bit, you know, you couldn't keep it hidden from me, but I know you had to keep it hidden <laughs> from other people. And I, I am so excited for you and your family. I know you've, uh, this has been a long time coming and, you know, there's been some ups and downs along the way, but it's well worth it. And I know you and your wife, Melissa, this is extremely exciting for both of you. I've been to your house already and, you know, the the baby proofing is well on its way. Ken was just telling me <laughs> off air about having to carry a Bowflex out of his upstairs. <laughs> and uh, let me just tell you, for those that may not know Ken's house, his stairs are like a death trap. They're, <laughs> dark, they're dark, steep, and narrow. So <laughs> there there is glad, a few of them, yeah. I, I'm glad I wasn't involved in carrying that Bowflex down. Um, I'm surprised everybody did make it out alive. I'm, I'm still not convinced <laughs> as you move other furniture out of that room that everybody's going to come out alive. But yeah, you know, again, okay. con- congratulations. This is so exciting. And I'm I'm so proud of you guys. And, you know, it's going to be a, a, a loving household that this baby gets born into. And uh, it's also exciting is it's right around the due dates, right around the time of your late father's birthday. So Fingers crossed that, you know, the baby does come on that day because that would just be uh, truly honoring your family and the memory of your father. So it's let's all hope that that it happens on that day. Yeah, then that, that was a big thing. It's thank you very much. Yeah, uh, Melissa and I are very very excited for this, and it it has taken some time, and it, it's you know, it's awesome. I, I don't know other, any other way to put it. It's something that been we've been waiting for and and hoping for and now that it's here it's just uh there's some more time to go but i I just can't wait i normally i don't want time to fly by uh and i i say this with i i do but i don't because there's a lot to get done but i i can't wait wait to meet uh our our child and you know we're we're not going to find out so from from i still think you're crazy I just keep referring it to as the baby or, um, but yeah, it's, uh, very exciting and we're very happy for this and, and can't wait. And yeah, it, uh, it, it's been a while. And so we're very happy. And you mentioned the Bowflex already again, thanks to Vince for helping out with that. Uh, it was, uh, it's about 150, 160 pounds and very awkward to try and get down stairs that go down, turn, and then go down again and, yeah, but uh, very exciting. Very exciting. Well, and to one of our listens, listeners, Mama Bleachacon, Ken's mom, it's actually going to be one of two new grandchildren in the family as Ken's brother is also <laughs> expecting their first child. Congratulations to to Ken's brother, uh, Chris, and, it, and to uh, the whole coming family. It, the dynamic of 
Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving dinners are about to change drastically as there's going to be little toddlers running around the dinner yeah. table for, with both families. Very exciting news for the the whole the whole family of yours, Ken. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, they're about uh, uh, five and a half, six weeks apart. So they're ahead of us a little bit. So the the cousins will be very close in age, and uh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. So cool. Yeah. But yeah. let's uh, let's kind of get on with some of the the fun of today's show. Uh, Ken, both our teams in the Canadian Football League won this week in rather convincing fashion. They did. Uh, the BC Lions were playing a bad team in the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks and absolute or it absolutely dismantled them. It was thirty? I don't can't remember the score. 39-14 yeah. or something like that. Or yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't that close. 34-13 or Iowa, whatever. They dismantled them. Yeah, uh, and it was. It wasn't close. Uh, Vernon Adams rebounded against a bad team. Uh, my Calgary Stampeders were supposed to be playing a good team in the first place, Toronto Argos. Number two team and, in the CFL, right? Yeah, second best team, according to like Milt Stiegel. And the C- oh, wait, that was the Riders. Uh, <laughs> second best team maybe in the CFL? No, they're not. They they got 29 to 2. The, 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 the Argos decided to go NFL and, and you know try to win with only kicking. And well, they didn't make any of their kicks. So it was I was at the game, beautiful October 1st, and I'm in my shorts and, and a t-shirt sweating like crazy in the stands. It's uh, very unusual in Calgary in October. <laughs> I'll take it. It was the game was uh not very entertaining. It was uh Two good defenses going at it, and the Stampeders just made a few plays, and the Argos didn't. Other, it was dull. Not gonna lie, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I was really disappointed in, in the Argos. They are not the second best team in the CFL by a mile. Like they're maybe fourth, maybe fifth. They were not good, and that's it's disappointing. Yeah, like I, I didn't get, I didn't watch the game. Uh, we had uh, some friends over and. Well, looking at the score at the end, and even you expect a closer game between the first place team in the East and a team that's fighting for second in the West. And I don't need to watch to know that it wasn't even close. And I've seen enough Argo games uh, to know how they play. And it's just disappointing to see that the East best doesn't even compete. With and this isn't a not I'm not saying this to knock the snaps, but the third place team in the in the West, right? The third place team in the West is so much better than the first place team in the East. And you could take well one through three in the West for sure. Uh, you hit four in the Riders, and then you might get a competitive game. But it, it just it's disappointing that that's the best that they can put forward, and it's not even close to the best that the West can put forward and, you know, disappointing. I, going back to the BC Lions game, I, we joked and I said, you know, the Lions get the Ottawa uh, Red Blacks coming up and that's the medicine to cure all that ails. And it was Vernon Adam. I think that well, was it wasn't ever. It was a confidence boost for him because he came out and he looked good. He made some nice runs. He made some nice passes. He made passes in, in tight coverage. And that like, that's what you need. You need that confidence boost and yeah they're not a good team but they did what they were supposed to do against them they're going to go into their next you know the remaining i think four games they have left and two of them are against the bombers so depending on how the bombers do 
the Lions could mathematically, on paper, catch them if they continue to play good football. Not going to happen. Um, Not going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I already said it, but it the Lions still have an opportunity to lock up a home field playoff game with some some good wins. They have a shot at it. So it's going to be interesting to see how the it all plays out in the last four. But, yeah, the Lions got what they needed, which was a, a convincing, confidence-boosting win. Uh, scary play late or kind of later in the game with uh, Lucky Whitehead getting another, I think, one of his own teammates or one of the defenders rolling up on his on his leg. And I've got a cousin who I was watching his football game uh, a f- few years ago. That happened to him, and he broke his leg. And that was the first thing I thought was, this is this is not going to be good. He came out and tried it a little bit more. And then when the game was out of hand, he took a break, threw some ice on it. Hopefully it's not as bad as it looked, but it, it could have been bad. I mean, Brian Burnham's already out and uh, hoping Lucky got, well, lucky on that play and isn't injured too badly. Yeah, you always want your best players in any any sport, any team, any league. You want the best players playing. You know my thoughts on Lucky Whitehead, but I, I don't wish ill will on him at all. He uh, he's he's good for the league. He's boisterous. He adds a lot of excitement, and you know, the CFL is is better when Lucky's in the lineup. And you know maybe he can just get back on the horse again and get back get in the lineup. <laughs> Pun, pun intended oh absolutely <laughs> yeah all right well let's trevor let's jump into are you kidding me are you kidding me is brought to you by manscaped go to manscaped.com and use the code belly up fantasy for 20 percent off trevor why don't you start us off i'm gonna stick with the cfl this we have to start here this is beautiful you and i love this this is depending on what team in the canadian football league you cheer for this is either wonderful news or terrible news if, if you are a fan of the Edmonton Elks, <laughs> it's terrible. If you're a fan of pretty much every other team, you love this. What am I referring to? The Chris Jones-led Edmonton Elks have not won a game at home since they were the Edmonton Eskimos. They are officially 0-15 as the Elks. And why is that significant? Well, the 15th win on the weekend sets a new CFL record for home futility. 15 games in a row they've lost at home. 15. It, it couldn't happen to a greater guy than Chris Jones. I I have very little respect for him. I, everybody thinks he's a football mastermind wizard. I call bullshit. He's... He's he deserves it. He's you know he leaves teams high and dry, and everybody keeps bringing him back for some unknown reason. I love it. It couldn't happen to a greater guy. That being said, I do feel sorry for the fan base in Edmonton. There's some diehards that are getting to watch crap football. They really are. Uh, it appears they're they're turning a corner a little bit with Taylor Cornelius. We I think, but let's go to the 15th game that they lost at home. They were up. Late, late in that game, driving to extend their lead and possibly win a home game. I believe it was either first and goal or second and goal from about the four-yard line. Talk about epic ways to lose. (laughs) Taylor Cornelius throws a pick six. 
<laughs> an interception for a touchdown, 100, 100 yard interception return for a touchdown to give up the lead. And on the very next drive with the chance to tie the game, they get stuffed on third and goal from the two and turn it over on down. So twice within the five yard line to extend the lead or get back in the game. And then in their last drive, they threw an interception on on the 25-yard line of the Alouettes. Like, you just know the football gods are against you when this kind of stuff happens. They 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 snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in this game, and I couldn't be happier for Chris Jones to have had to watch that and shake his head in shame. Edmonton Elks, are you kidding me? Win one at home for your fans. Come on. Yeah, it was bad. Like I was, I, I was watching a bit of that game. It was on earlier, and yeah, that that interception at the five, like it was a deflective deflected pass, but he, the guy was right in front of Cornelius, so it's not like he came out of nowhere to deflect that. He essentially threw it into him, and it just pure football luck for the Owls went right to a defender who on the other side of Cornelius who took it back and the futility of this team. And just, I, I said to you, I said, I don't think there's another team in pro, in pro sports that hates winning at home more than the Elks. Uh, the Red Blacks. They have one though. They had a win last season at home. They don't have one this year. They're 0-1-7 as well, but they at least won a game last year at home. And they're just as futile as the Elks. We'll talk about that in a bit, but you talked about, you brought up Chris Jones being this coaching god. He's supposed to be this great defensive coach. He's general manager, he's head coach, and he's a defensive coordinator. A defense that has given up a league worst by 99 points. The next closest team is the Red Blacks. The Red Blacks have given up, or a run differential of 87 Point differential. Negative. Point differential <laughs> of negative 87. The point differential for the Elks is negative 186. They have given up 492 points. A good portion of that to the BC Lions. Throw that out there. And Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. But for a defensive-minded coach, how do you still have a job when you were giving up that kind of points? It's absolutely mind-boggling. And we'll talk about this again in a little bit. But on Friday night, after the Lions beat the Red Blacks, they were talking about how Paul Lapolis's seat isn't hot. It's on fire. Yet no one, not a single CFL expert, panelist, whoever, is talking about Chris Jones being in the hot seat. I don't get it. Why is the CFL world so in love with this coach who has one great cup? He doesn't have a, a bucket full of winning seasons. And like, this is just a rotating a carousel of, of a roster. I don't get how he's getting a free pass here. Well, it ain't going to get any easier for the Elks at home either. The last two games of the season are against the aforementioned Toronto Argonauts, who, depending on which team shows up, I have to believe the Argos are better than the Elks, and the Argos are going to have something to play for there. They're they're still fighting for first in the East. They may get a reprieve in the final week of the season, and they're playing the BC Lions. 
that game quite possibly could mean nothing to the BC Lions. It could just be a game where they're resting a bunch of starters, or it could mean everything for the BC Lions. We don't know. We will see. But if they're playing two motivated teams, I don't see this streak ending this year either. And well, God knows how long into next year it might go. I would like to hope think that the Lions are going to take every game going into the playoffs as a serious game because, yeah, you don't want guys getting hurt in a meaningless game, but you also still want your guys going and having confidence going into the playoffs. Yeah, so, I don't disagree with that. And and even and you know what I I have no issue saying that even a lightened BC Lions lineup could still easily handle the the Elks. I like to me Chris Jones led Elks. Yeah, the Chris Jones led <laughs> Elks. Um, the Elks have shown nothing to me this season that they can stop a good team. They are one and nine in the division, and that came against was that you guys, wasn't it? No, it was the Riders oh, was in the Riders. Regina. Yeah, I I thought you guys may have had one of those games nope, played nope. taken, but um, yeah, they're just a bad team, a bad team. And like when you even you look at the Riders are six and nine, and they're not playing great, they'd still be third in the. They're they're still the crossover team right now because Hamilton's four and ten, the Elks are three and eleven. There are some bad teams in the CFL this year. Okay, let's move on and. You're going to bring up a topic that I can honestly say I don't think I've ever talked about this sport ever, but <laughs> this is gold. I love I, it. You know, and I don't think we've ever really sat down and had a big, you know, pro fishing tournament conversation. But pro fishing is big business, especially down in the States. And there is some in Canada here, but it is a big deal. Like they, the fishermen are decked out like a NASCAR race car. They are covered in sponsorships. Their boats are covered in sponsorships. There is big money in these tournaments. I don't have all the exact um, figures. Yeah, we're not exactly up to date on our no. fishing tour <laughs> stats. If, if it's going to be this exciting, I might become a big fan and get caught <laughs> up on it. But I caught this video on Twitter and it just had me going, are you kidding me? So back to like, I think, Quick rundown. I did a quick little look this morning, and some of the top ten make. I don't know if this is yearly or career, or whatever, but still, it's good money. It's anywhere from like low end at the you know tenth place is about three million, and the high end was like seven or eight or something like. There is a lot of money through sponsorships, and these tournament winnings are either tens of thousands of dollars or close to hundreds of thousands of dollars. These guys also spend about $70,000 a year to go into these tournaments. Now, the video I saw was crazy, but there was a tournament, a, a big name pro fisherman who's won hundreds of thousands of dollars. This one tournament was win hundreds of thousands of dollars just for this one tournament. But he's won several other tournaments recently and over the years and is a big name in the fishing. And I don't honestly, I don't know who he is, so I'm not going to worry about it. But he's a big name in the fishing world and apparently has always carried a little bit of controversy with him and how he wins because he got caught stuffing weights down the fish's throat. Multiple weights into multiple fit into all of his fish that he caught along with 
other fish fillets to increase the weight of the fish because they don't they weigh them as they are they don't gut them and make sure they're good they weigh them as they are and he had about half a i don't know how many fish he had because they didn't show the whole video but of the three four fish that they cut open and checked there was at least eight good size weights in there multiple fish fillets jammed down his throat and my god it was like he robbed a bank these guys were like they had to keep people from kicking his ass at this tournament because he is literally stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from other people and it was just insane that you just you look at like how what measures people will take to win when it comes to money on the line i was just like are you kidding me and apparently he's been doing it for a long time. They finally caught him and they had to like, people were wanting the cops called. And I kind of get it because it's fraud. You are stealing. You are taking money out of other people's pockets when they are paying. Like, you know, if you break it down 70 grand over a year, that's a lot of money to be in these tournaments. And obviously there's things this season called winter. So you're not fishing in the winter, but that's a lot of money to put out in probably say eight months of the year. You're talking almost 10 grand a month to go into these tournaments and you have the gall to cheat. It's just, it's, it was insane when I watched this video and the reaction of the people who are like, don't touch them guys. Don't touch them. They were trying to keep the people because they were so angry. Their livelihoods are being stolen from them potentially because this guy just wanted to cheat. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I guess. This happens in every sport, sadly. You know, yeah. let's talk about the Aaron Judge home run race. There's people who are saying that if he hits 62, he's the all-time home run king. Roger Maris Jr. is behind that. Yeah. Roger Maris Jr. is saying it. Uh let's the New York Yankees won World Series titles with you know Aroid in the lineup, the Boston Red Sox won World Series titles with you know Manny Ramirez in the lineup. Like you ain't cheating. You ain't trying. There's lots of allegations against Tom Brady and whether he's cheating. I don't know if what he did is actually cheating, but he was trying. That's for sure. Yeah. It. This is craziness, and it, I. This just tells me this happens everywhere, everywhere, yeah. even in fishing. And the raw video. If you have not seen this raw video, it's craziness. It is craziness. They just they pull the fish, they cut them open, and they pull out like these. It's almost like in marbles, the shooters, the shooter size weights. Oh, they're easy. Pull it out of the fishes. Yeah, almost golf ball size. Like it's craziness. And then they pull out this big like fish fillet. I I saw that video and I just was I I was laughing. It was like this this shit can't be real. Like this isn't real. <laughs> oh it was. yeah, it is insane. If you want to see the video, amazing. Yeah. That's all I gotta say. To see the video, and maybe don't watch it with small children around, uh, head over on Twitter, at Billy Hot Takes. Check it out. It, it was crazy, this video. Just insane. I, I I was shaking my head and laughing at the same time. Well, Ken, I'm going to move on to another sport we actually don't talk a lot about, but we do talk about a lot of football with the Canadian Football League, but we don't talk a lot of college football. I do actually watch a fair amount of college football. I find it very exciting because it actually more resembles a Canadian football league game in many instances. And it's just, it's, it's good football. I'm going to give it that. But there was an incident that happened on the weekend that 
I got a question and I, I laughed when I saw it because I was like, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? What am I talking about in the Ohio State Rutgers game? It's fourth and two on, I think they're on about the 40. Ohio State's up by 39 points. <laughs> they run a punt fake. <laughs> I love it. And then they convert it and get about a 20 yard run out of the punter. And as the punter's stepping up, <laughs> he gets lit up by Rutgers. <laughs> it leads to a melee. You know, I'm just going to classify this as a great moment in sports history. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? Like, yeah, there's the unwritten rules of sports, and this is going to be one of them. This yeah. is definitely one of them. You don't punt fake when you're up 39 in the fourth quarter with about nine minutes left. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Amazing well, I, again. I love it. I got I got the video running here on, on that. It's running and... beside me on my screen. <laughs> I keep watching it, and that's why I'm laughing so hard. He, he's about two feet into the white. Like that the sideline is about probably, I don't know, four feet wide. And he's two feet into it when he gets drilled. And you gotta feel bad for the punter because he's doing what he's and, and you're you're right, you don't do that when you're up 39. And, and I'm gonna kind of put this on some of some of the rules of how NCAA works. I'm not 100% sure, but in general, the unwritten rules, you don't do that. The punter's doing what he's told. And if his coach tells him to pump, you know, run a fake, he's got to run the fake because if he doesn't, his ass is benched or cutting and any kind of uh, chance at a pro career is gone. Because if you don't listen to your coach, you're not going to go very far. Now, you could be an undefeated team and you're not going to play in the pro, in the national championship. Little bit different rules now, but it all comes down to rankings and points and things like that. So this is a situation set up by that where to maintain your your ranking and your chance at a big bowl game and to get into the new playoffs, you gotta put the points on the board. You can't really lay off because you might be behind on a point differential to get a higher ranking and a better. That's spot a really good point. Coming yeah, I never the end of the thought season. of that. And it's unfortunate because you get this situation. The punter's doing his job. And the, the I don't want to say the, the ego, but the pride of the Rutgers players are stepping in and going, I don't care that you're doing your job. I'm going to make you pay. And that it it's unfortunate because the, the guy, the punter, doesn't wear a lot of pads. And he could have very well got very hurt on that play because it was a late hit out of bounds. And it, it's it's made it's done by the higher ups, and the coach should have done better. Punt well, you you just you just put it. your punter in harm's way by doing yeah. this. Like that, just as funny as the video is, and I'm still watching it and laughing. As funny as the video is, just a dumb, dumb decision by whoever made that decision. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. That's the punter, stupidity. If the punter did it on on his own, then that's on him. But I highly I wondered if it was a Miami Dolphin concussion doctor that Oof. made this decision. More yeah. on that later. <laughs> yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, poor, poor decision. Moving on to, to my last, are you kidding me? Speaking of decisions. Uh, yesterday after the day after the Red Blacks were handily defeated by my BC Lions. 
the team did decide to let go of Paul Lapolis. The team is 3-11 and on the season. And from last year to this year, Lapo only won six games. Three this year, three last year. Now, I said this to you. I don't know that this is necessarily on Lapolis. He was handed seven broken crayons. None of them were the right colors and told to replicate the Mona Lisa. It, you can only work with what, you, what you're given. And I think it's unfortunate when you see the new GM did do, do a good job in the offseason. It just hasn't translated onto the field with injuries and everything else. But I will say the guy was only given a shortened season and not even a full season this year. So really call it a season and a half, maybe worth of games to try and turn around a franchise that was pretty damn bad. When did they win one game one year? Like not that long ago. I don't know that this is necessarily on Paul Lapolis. And it's unfortunate because when things aren't going well with the team, the coach is the first one to pay the price. And I don't know this is the right call here. Not surprised. I just don't think it's the right call. I just don't understand the timing of it. Why not wait until the end of the season? Like, who cares? It's four more games. You're not making the playoffs. What's the point? Like, unless maybe there was conversations had by Lapolis where he, you know, kind of said that he wasn't planning on coming back next year. And for that reason, they pulled the trigger now. But again, that's, I have no, no idea. It just seems odd. Like you're now bringing an interim coach into this bad situation. And are you potentially ruining some guy's chance of ever being a head coach again? Because you bring in some interim guy and he goes and gets blown out in four games as well. Or I just, it's why now, honestly, why now? That's what I couldn't figure out. It's you got four games left, finish the season, move on. Don't understand it. it. I'm not surprised it happened. Just surprised at the timing. That's just a bad football club. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, like I said, I feel bad for the guy because it's you can only do so much with what you have. And you can't always take an underachieving team and even in the bad East Division, make them a playoff team. There's only so much you can do. And I don't know that he wasn't trying. Like, I think it's just, yeah, very odd, very unfortunate. You don't like to see people lose their jobs, but... It happens in sports a lot. Well, we're going to move on. And we just alluded to this a couple minutes back. And we're going to talk a little bit about player safety. There was an incident this week. Well, I guess kind of last two weeks in the NFL. Quarterback, the Miami Dolphins, Tua, hits his head on, what was it, on Sunday. Stumbles around, has a sore back, apparently. And gets cleared to come back into that game. Then on the Thursday nighter, just a couple days later, really three days rest only, gets tapped, sacked, and hits his head again. And just a terrible, ugly, gross video where he's knocked unconscious. And I don't really want to talk about the video much. We all know what happened. Just a bad, bad scenario. Since that game and since Tua did get knocked out, He's been released from the hospital. He shockingly flew home with the team that night. I was, I couldn't believe they made that decision. That is, you know, it's, 
it's known that you're not supposed to get on an airplane when you're having head issues. I cannot believe they let him on that airplane. The independent concussion doctor has been fired by the National Football League who cleared him to play. This is just a bad situation all around. And it, it's going to lead into a bit of a bigger conversation with Ken and I around player safety in general. But this, I, I tweeted out immediately, this is a terrible look for the Dolphins. It's a terrible look for the NFL. The NFL is widely known as not giving two shits about their players and their player safety. The Thursday nighters are insane. The fact that you make a team play three days later is nuts. And, you know, football is a taxing sport physically. And for the sheer sake of money alone, and it's, you know, millions and almost hundreds of millions of dollars in TV contracts with, with Amazon Prime now on this Thursday nighters. It's, it's all about the money with the NFL. And this, this two incident is just another black eye for that league. I thought it was disgusting that he was playing. I thought it was disgusting that he came into the game on Sunday and managed to lead his team to victory. He shouldn't have played then. There's no way he should have been playing on Thursday. There's got to be like this very well. Like if things don't turn out well for Tua, this is going to be a defining moment in NFL history in regards to player safety because there could be massive lawsuits by the NFLPA, by Tua, by by the fans. Like the, the fans are getting ripped off here. Uh, I shame on you, NFL. How did you let this happen? Come on. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it isn't new. And, you know, McDaniels, the head coach, can say, well, I, he was cleared to play. It doesn't mean you have to put him back in, right? Like, it doesn't mean you have to put him back in. But when it comes down to it, winning is everything. And you're right about the, the Thursday night games, three days rest. The NFL is a league where you have multiple teams getting buys in a week. So you want to have a Thursday night game? Take two teams that had a buy and get them to play Thursday. Because then guess what? They aren't playing on three days rest. They are playing on adequate rest. And anything that, you know, if someone did get knocked up the game before, they've got time to maybe get healed up properly before going back in. Uh, Richard Sherman, as a player, was always a, against the Thursday Nighters for that reason. And now he's getting called out because he's on the Amazon Prime coverage of the Thursday Nighter. And he says, yeah, I, I'm on the coverage. It doesn't change my stance on it, right? Like, for, I, Yeah, he's not involved in playing, so I don't, yeah. I don't – I didn't understand that argument, whatever. It's – Yeah, it's he's, – He's not a player anymore, so whether he's doing the broadcast or not is really irrelevant. Like, oh, I know. He wanted right. to bring in a personality to do those games. I don't have an issue with that end of it. And, Ken, I was actually going to go where you just went, have the teams come off a bye playing yeah. each other so it's not – every every three days and uh, quickly back to Sherman that, that's completely irrelevant the fact that he is on that broadcast crew you could tell he was visibly shaken up uh, having oh, yeah. to even be part of broadcasting that game and you know people are like oh but now he's happy to take the millions of dollars like well of course he is like yeah. it's, he's yeah. not a player anymore it down? yeah yeah like, I, would, are... I would do it too like it, I yeah. just thought that was a ridiculous argument Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, but Richard Sherman's always kind of been a polarizing figure. So, of course, people are going to attack him. But he's right. Like, 
the guys that are doing it, no one cares about these players after they leave. And, you know, we talk about another, another hit on a quarterback out of college. And I don't know if it was from the same Ohio state Rutgers game or a different one, all the uniforms kind of blend together sometimes, but the quarterback made a run, started going, gave himself up, starting to slide. And a guy head first speared him in the head, helmet to helmet almost. And it was just an absolutely vicious hit with no regard for another human being's safety. There was no need for it. He was already sliding and going down before the guy started, you know, lunging at him head first. One big thing that came out of this is the replay after replay after replay of Tua being down. A lot of people, especially in the NHL world, compared it to the John Tavares hit in the playoffs when he took the... uh, and it was in, it was an accident. There was no malicious intent on that. But usually, I have to say that because we're talking about Corey Perry here. When Corey Perry accidentally need him in the head, that was absolutely horrific. And they continue to show it and show it and show it. And John Tavares, his family saw it repeated. He saw it repeated, and it had an effect on him. And so, why? Are we showing this over and over and over again? And and obviously TV, they want ratings. They want people to, oh, this happened. You know, they see it on social media and then they turn over to the, change the channel. And, you know, you're trying to get people to watch this. These are not the things you want to be highlighting for people to turn over and watch your programming. There needs nope. to be a lot more done with player safety. Yeah. I want to kind of take this into a, a bit of another direction, and that is the, the the overall idea of player safety in the first place. In the National Hockey League, the sport you and I have watched probably the most, there's concussion spotters. And it's these people's jobs within the, the game to potentially point out players that may have taken a, a hit to the head or knocked their head and kind of look woozy. They have concussion spotters to pull these players to check them. The way I want to go with this is, Ken, how many times have we been watching a game and a concussion spotter takes a player out of the game and the, the players are pissed off, the fans are pissed off, the media is pissed How can you take Connor McDavid out of a game with four minutes left and the Oilers down by two? How can you? You just sealed their loss. How can you? Ask Tua, how can you? Because yeah. that's what happens when you don't take it a cautious approach. I don't ever want to see a fan complain about a player being taken out over a possible concussion. Don't do it. It's you just saw what happens potentially if you don't. There's how many Michael Furland had lost his career over concussions because. He and I'm going to put it on the player too. The player has to realize that their health is more important. Michael Furlan lost his career because he he couldn't get over the fact that he suffered multiple concussions. And in his first games back, he's dropping the mitts and fighting. And it's like player safety has to start with the players too. And yeah. you have to be smart about this. You only play hockey for you might only play in the NHL for five years. You might only play in the in the CFL for three years. You might play in the NBA for 20 years. You don't know what the length of your career is going to be, but you can't jeopardize the rest of your life. 
for yeah. that short period of time in your life. And I know it's your maximum earning times. And that's why I'm trying to say you need to be smart about that because those are your maximum earning years for your, your career. And if you go and cut your career short because you didn't take it easy because you might've had a, a suspected concussion and then your career is over, uh, that's on you as well. So to me, the idea of the concussion spotters, this needs to be enhanced in every sport, every sport, every game, everywhere. The health of the players is more important than anything else. And not just for the players, for the players' family. Like th these people have lives they have to live after, after they're done their careers and they need to be able to do it to the best of their capabilities. I'm, this is a, a touchy subject for me because the leagues don't care. They no. don't care about it. They care about money. The fans, as much as the fans tell you that they care, they don't care. They care about their team winning and losing. And they're willing to take that risk because it's not their body. It's, I know, I want Connor McDavid on the ice because we need to win this game in Nashville on a Tuesday night that we're down too late in the third period. We have to win this game. It, oh, it, it's so much bigger than that. And I don't know. I, people have to care. And fans say they care. They don't. If you truly start caring, you're not going to complain about this stuff. The The concussion spotter in hockey in the NHL is good. But where I kind of say it needs to get better is there's too many inconsistencies with who and when players are taken off because – you and I have seen it where a guy gets drilled and he gets up and he looks woozy. He stays in the game. Another player takes a similar hit, gets up, is fine, is going, is not stumbling, is not looking dazed. They're out for 15 minutes. Right. I think they're, they're, and that's exactly what I'm trying to say. They need to enhance yeah. it. They need to yeah. have a, a zero tolerance policy. That guy got dinged in the head. Get him out of here for 10 minutes. Yeah, and again, like the suspensions that the NHL hands out aren't always necessarily a deterrent because what one headshot gets today is two games and then what another headshot gets three weeks later is a $5,000 fine. There's no consistency. So it's like, well, can I do this or I can't? If you want to get rid of it, a headshot, if you are suspend or looking at a suspension for a headshot, it's minimum five games. You need to make the punishment severe enough. And a $5,000 fine to an NHL player is nothing, regardless of what contract they're making. It's nothing. They don't care about losing five grand. Um, You know, a lot of times you and I talk, especially like during games in the CFL, about how weak some of the roughing the quarterback calls are. But the CFL is doing something about keeping the quarterback safe and that's what they're doing and looking at everything and going looking at the two two plays going yeah that doesn't well the first one was more of a push as he was going backwards and it wasn't a lot but he smoked his head at on the turf and that it was called roughing the passer because it was well after it wasn't necessary it was a penalty and that's the type of penalty we see in the cfl called all the time the tackle that took Tua out in the game on Thursday night would have been a roughing the passer play because the CFL has said, we do not want you excessively throwing the quarterback to the ground because we don't want them getting injured because Tua was absolutely slammed down. doesn't happen in the CFL because the CFL has taken steps to try and stop 
the quarterbacks getting a concussion every week. You look at Buck Pierce. The guy had concussion after concussion after concussion. Dave Dickinson had concussion problems. We go back to Matt Dunnigan had concussion problems. All the quarterbacks of the past suffered some very vicious hits. Now, not all were in the pocket and would be considered roughing the passer, but they still took those hits. The league is doing a lot to stop in the CFO with a horse collar tackle, which is a good way to pull a guy down from behind and potentially smack his head on the turf. They're take, trying to make sure that you take out all headshots. The NFL has not done any of that, I don't think. And They've done been- a little bit. The I and the, the rule I'm going to go to is the hitting the defenseless receiver rule. Before, you know, five, ten years ago, you were applauded if you drilled a vulnerable receiver. They've at least you know, taken some measures there. And they are being a little more, and I don't know the ticky-tack is the right word, there are more flags thrown on roughing the passer, whether it's a penalty or not. I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to eliminate some of these rules or create some of these rules and, and eliminate some of the injuries that they're kind of trying, but they're not trying hard enough. It's, it's the, uh, to me, the biggest one is the concussion protocol in general, in what world, you know, the Miami Dolphins said they followed the NFL concussion protocol. Well, if they did, <laughs> holy smokes, that needs reviewed because obviously there is no concussion protocol or it's too weak. That's the, the, in my opinion, the more serious part of this, what happened is maybe, maybe the off ice way they, they examine it and look at it needs to be overhauled. I, I kind of disagree with you about the, the rules. I think they have made some changes to try to make it safer. You're, you know, you're not allowed to lead with your head. You're not allowed to, you know, essentially spear guys or hit them with the crown of your helmet. And that's not just for the guy getting hit. That's for the hit tee as well. Those are safety rules. And, I want to go back to how many times do we see fans bitching and complaining at when one of those calls are made. It's like, that wasn't an offenseless receiver. It's like, well, I don't know. He's lying there on the ground and hasn't moved. Or <laughs> the guy yeah. gets, you know, a guy leads with his helmet and, you know, ends up lying on the ground hurt. There's reasons they have these penalties. Don't complain about them, please. It, it, it's it, that's there's. There's good intention behind them. That's, I guess, the point I want to say. Whether it's consistent enough, they call it enough, the penalties are harsh enough. I think you want the players to stop. And, Ken, you brought this up in the NHL. They get fined like five grand and suspended a game. You want this stuff to really stop. Then you need to have meaningful uh, suspensions against the players and fines. Like defenseless receiver, $100,000 fine. Roughing the quarterback, $50,000 fine. Like, Start hitting them in the pocketbook or start suspending them a lot more. And I think this stuff will go away. But until that actually comes, I don't know that we're going to see enough change. There's some change, but it's not to where it needs to be. Well, you take a look at baseball. Baseball doesn't really have a, I think, a little bit here and there, like a big concussion problem. But in a couple areas where they were happening was plays at second base, uh, trying to break up a double play and at home. With a catcher, you know, making a play and the, the player running through him at, you know, 30 miles per hour coming down the baseline, looking like a linebacker lining up a QB. And they've made changes to do that where you can't slide into like you can't slide anywhere outside the base path to try and break up the play. Because if you do, 
you're out, the other runner's out, and it's just a foregone conclusion. They've made changes to make the game safer for the fielder who is in a defenseless position trying to make that play at second on a double play and at home. Because I, I, I was a catcher, and I, I got run over in practice one time. Not because my, you know, my teammate was trying to take me out. It's just how the it was for all stars. We we're getting ready for the tournament. We were doing mock scrimmage. Like we we're just kind of playing, and and he was coming home, and I stepped up to make the catch and put the tag or whatever. And it just the timing of it was bad. I got rocked right, and I did get run over in soccer as well one time with the the goalie coming out arms high at my head and took me out. There's different things, but certain sports, I think baseball is made and people don't like it because it, sometimes there's some gray area in how it's called, but. It's never has, led to any Toronto Blue Jays victories over the Minnesota twins, the new rules. Yeah. yeah, Or a fight at second base between, you know, the Jays and the Rangers, but it uh, baseball has made some rule changes that would take away like Pete Rose is known for running through a catcher. Was that an all-star game? Was it Carlton? Yeah. No, it wasn't Fisk, was it? Or whoever, I might I can't remember. I think it might yeah, have been. Whoever it was, he ran through him at an all-star game and broke the guy's leg at an all-star game at home plate with a meaningless game. And we've seen a lot of uh was it Ryan Sandberg get concussed at second base by taking a knee, trying to break up a play. It just baseball has done things to try and completely eliminate that from happening and i think they've they've done a pretty good job with that it doesn't mean there's and no the crazy thing plays. the crazy thing is baseball any worse for it no nope. no nope. i haven't seen a collision at home plate in years and am i missing it not really it hasn't taken anything away from the game like i want to see guys i want to see superstars hit home runs I don't want to see Pete Rose <laughs> run over a catcher in an all-star game. Like it's, I got to applaud baseball because they're probably the most progressive of a lot of the leagues and actually trying to make changes to make the game better and making it safer for players is definitely one thing that baseball is a lot better at. They're also like, they, they make changes to their equipment and stuff as well. Like, you know, they're, they're, they've tested new helmets, batting helmets, like I appreciate those efforts. I really do. And and other leagues, I think, need to start going further. Football especially. And I'm not trying to blackball football in any way, but it's the most violent sport. To me, it should be the the most progressive sport of all of them in in terms of leading player safety changes because it is the most violent sport outside of maybe lacrosse. And and I'm not quite sure how you make UFC more uh, (laughs) player safety friendly. (laughs) That's a whole other ball game. You talk about... to me, they should be leading the charge, not not taking step backwards. And what happened to Tua is a step backwards for the NFL and player safety and concussions. Well, you look at the the equipment, like in baseball, the guys that used to wear the elbow pads or the little foot shin pads, the guards at the at the plate was very rare, probably like what ten years ago. Now, almost every player comes up with the elbow guard, the shin guard, you know, the little chin protector on the helmet was rare very rare unless you had got hit with a high heater you really didn't have one on there Giancarlo Stanton when he was with the Miami Marlins had a he took that high heater up in the face he came back with like a stylized one in the beginning almost like a GS looking thing and that that was new 
Now I'd probably say 80% of the, the play the hitters come up with the face protection on. They've made those steps. NFL this off the preseason and training camp required all the players in positions where concussions were higher during uh, training camp and preseason. Even in games, were required to wear like the helmet caps to give them extra protection during practice and in a two weeks of the first two weeks of preseason. Man, the players were bitching about that. They all oh, they hated it. Adds too much weight and ah blah blah blah. blah. Well. Do you want to remember your name in six years or do you want to not? Because that's what that is trying to do. Now, will we ever see it come into a game situation? Probably not. But at least in training camp, when you've got guys trying to earn jobs and maybe go harder against your own teammates, they were trying to do something to reduce the risk. The CFL has gone to practices with no pads on to try to limit injuries on players and and, and just kind of cut down on the beatings that their bodies take and and I, I know there was a lot of players initially didn't like it but I think it's kind of getting to a point where they're just used to it now and it's not really that big of a deal it's it to me any measure that is taken and I'm not saying the NFL hasn't taken any measures they absolutely have every league has they got to take more because anything that's meant to Keep your players safer on the field longer, on the ice longer, with longer careers, and not threaten losing. Like you might lose one of the best quarterbacks in the league over a concussion that didn't need to happen. You want your superstars on the ice, on the field, at bat. So why is there all this negative energy towards player safety? Like they're they're doing it for the right reason, and and I applaud them for this. And go further, be even more revolutionary. Make bigger changes. Demand that they they have to wear the extra cushioned helmets. Like demand it, because sports are better when the best players are on the field. They just are. Yep. Yeah. Let us know what you think about that. Uh, Trevor's at the BleachCon one. I'm at the BleachCon two on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts on that. Are are sports leagues doing enough when it comes to player safety, or what are your ideas to make it safer for them? Let us know. Well, Ken, to end the show, our Blue Jays did it. They made the playoffs. It was very touch and go there around the uh, 80 game mark when they were a middling, you know, 500 ball club. Uh, some about points, almost 15 games behind the New York Yankees. They, they still going to finish quite a ways back, but you know, they, they made the managerial change kind of halfway through the season. And I do believe that that, ended up saving the season. John Schneider's come in. The team's played you know, about 20 games, about 500. They've qualified for the playoffs. Congratulations to the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I'm going to throw this out there too. Congratulations to the Seattle Mariners for breaking a playoff curse. What, 21, 22 years? I can't 21 remember. Years. My head. 21 years. Congratulations to the Mariners. You know, By proximity, the Seattle Mariners are the closest Major League Baseball team to where I live. So I have a little bit of... Uh, a soft spot for them. It's, it, I did, I'm not disappointed when the Mariners do well. Now, that being said, it's a very high likelihood that our Toronto Blue Jays are going to be facing the Seattle Mariners in the playoffs. So the congratulations only goes so far. I hope yeah, you yeah. can crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might have to close the border if uh, it does get turned around where somehow Seattle is hosting it because I, I do believe the, uh, 
the, the Canadian fans would make an attempt to overtake that stadium. I, yeah. There's how I look at it. Either way, the Blue Jays are going to be playing a home game, whether <laughs> it's in Seattle or in Toronto. It's quite well, possible the Jays are going to have a very boisterous uh, fan base in both facilities. I can't remember if I was watching Sports Center or Sportsnet Central last night, and they were talking about there's kids in Seattle that haven't seen. Wait, no, there are adults in Seattle that have not seen a playoff game. There is. If if you turn 21 this year, you can drink legally to celebrate this because you weren't born. You were born the same time that they last went to the playoffs. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy that it's been that long. When you think about some of the teams they've had, they they in the past especially they were a pretty good team, but now they're back in it. I think they're going to be a tough team to play. So the Jays better come ready if that is who they are facing. Well, let's talk about that, Ken. Who do we want to play? Because right now it's it's almost a guarantee we're not going to be playing the Cleveland Guardians. And of the three teams, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Seattle Mariners, and the Cleveland Guardians, I would almost say I wanted to play the Guardians, even though that's a, a really good pitching staff. Yeah. You get Shane Bieber. I know one thing for sure. I'm happy we do not have to go to Tampa Bay, most likely, and play the Tampa Bay Rays in Tropicana Field. Because we already know how that was going to end. That was going yes. to end in a two-game sweep. Thank God that that is most likely off the table. It would take it'd be a catastrophe if the Jays are in Tampa Bay next Friday to open up the playoffs. Ken, who do you think the Jays want to play? Does it matter who they play? Who do you think they match up better against? Who do you want to see them play? Honestly, I think... When you go into the playoffs and from a team standpoint, I don't think you should care who it is because if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So there's that kind of aspect with it. I think we've seen, obviously we've seen Tampa Bay enough because they're in division. So we see them a lot this season. The Jays didn't win the season series, but I think it was still, you know, even though Tampa took it, I think it was still fairly even. And they won the season series in the back half of the season. So yeah, it wasn't a foregone conclusion early on and stuff like that. So I mean, Tampa, you could exercise some demons maybe and say we are the better team, even though you beat us in the season. Seattle, I think it, it it's going to be tough. I, I don't know that there's a a, a, a preference for myself or that I'm like I'd rather this team over this team. I'm looking at it going. You're going to have to beat the good teams anyway. So even if you were even with them or you lost the season series, the Jays and Mariners only play what, what two series in a season. So you don't have a lot on them and they do have some good players over there. There's some Canadian content as well. Um, I, for me, it doesn't matter. I want the best version of the Jays to come forward in this and show up when it matters. To me, that's what I, I'm looking for. I think you just made a really good point there. I think the Blue Jays are better than both of these teams. I really do. If they're firing on all cylinders. The Blue Jays in the American League, they're number one in batting average. They're number four in runs. They they lead a lot of the offensive categories in the American League. And if the lineup is somewhat clicking, like not everybody's going to be going, but if you can have Bichette and Vlad, you know, hitting the ball hard and Teoscar hitting the ball hard. And they have been for the last couple of weeks. That bodes well for the Toronto Blue Jays. On a 
on an experience factor level, I think you want to play the Seattle Mariners because the Tampa Bay Rays are a little more playoff tested than the Toronto Blue Jays and then the Seattle Mariners. I think there's just that pedigree. And I'm not huge into the the, the experience because the only way you get experience is by playing. But the, it is a factor. And the Tampa Bay Rays have been there before. They've always, they're a good team. They, they also play a style of baseball that blends itself to winning in the postseason. Very small ball, you know, get guy on, get them over, get them in. The, the Tampa Bay Rays are great at that. That's what they do. They do a and lot of things so really well. They do a lot of things really well. So I just from that little bit of pedigree and the style of baseball that they play, I think I want the Blue Jays to play the Mariners. What other reason I want the Blue Jays to play the Mariners? Robbie Ray. Like, yeah. that's just a great storyline. You got, you know, Ray going up against the team that he left to the team that gave him the big money. Like, how awesome would it be if we got to see a Robbie Ray Gosman matchup in the playoffs? So we probably wouldn't because it would probably be Ray and Manoa in game one. But wouldn't it be awesome if you got to see Ray versus Gosman? Like, that's. It's kind of like the pitcher the Jays let go for the guy they brought in. Like, that would just be awesome. So for that storyline, and also because of the fans, and I think they're in both stadiums, there will be a significant Toronto Blue Jays presence. For that reason, I think I want to play the Mariners just because it's going to be – it would just be more exciting, the atmosphere. Tropicana Fields, I don't care if it's the play, they're only going to have 20,000 people there. Yeah. You're going to get a like a, a, a full house in Seattle. You're going to get a full house in Toronto. Like if the, if if the Jays clinch home, oh man, that building's going to be rocking, and that's going to be a significant advantage just for you know the atmosphere and some of the storylines. I think it's the Mariners I want to play just because it's a better story. Well, and you talk about so there's a couple things like you brought up with the Tampa Bay Rays. They they've been to the playoffs. They know playoff baseball. And I know we talked about, you know, the Jays did well against them this year and, and such, but the the Rays also know how to beat the Toronto Blue Jays. The There's Toronto demons Bay, there too. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays know how to play the Jays because they do it 4,000 times a season. So there's that piece of it. Now, another piece to that, when you talk about the playoff experience versus lack of experience, the Mariners are coming in jacked up, ending a 21-year drought. That could go for them, and it could go against them as well. So you got to look at what version of that energy are you going to get. Are you going to get that positive energy as a team coming in with, we've got something to prove that we are the team that's going to you know, end the streak, make the playoffs, and move on? Or are they going to come in jacked up, trying to do too much because they're the team that broke the streak of 21 you know, non-playoff years and come in, come in hot. The big part of the end of the season here is both the Jays and the Rays are are playing game 158 today, or they've already played 158 games. The Mariners have played one less. They've played 157. I think they're going to finish up, uh, let's see, today against Oakland. And then they're going to play four against Detroit. So... Detroit's not a great team. They're they're a little they're lower in the standings. They're sixty four and ninety three. It's a four pretty, it should be very winnable games for Seattle. The Jays aren't done, and 
what I'd like to see them do over the remaining, you know, four games is I want them to play good baseball and win these games. They still, they, they clinched on an off day. They celebrated and partied after they beat the, uh, the Red Sox nine, nothing. And then they went out the next day and beat them 10, nothing. And hopefully today they'll have <laughs> the Red Sox. They <laughs> suck. Well, yeah, unfortunately they're losing to them right now, but, um, it is one of the things they got three against Baltimore. The Jays need to still win these four games to make sure they got home field advantage. Otherwise, they will be packing their bags for for three, most likely in Seattle. It, it, it's not a foregone conclusion for them. They still need to put the work in. Uh, looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, their schedule to finish up here. They have, come on, load screen. They've got, they're up against Houston right now, and they got three against Boston. Out of the three teams that are playing, the Jays probably have the harder schedule to finish it up. They have. They have they, for the last three weeks. Yeah. They have to continue to play playoff baseball right now they can't take their foot off the gas or they could find themselves playing the guardians right that could be a possibility because if they don't play if they come out and give lackluster performances and like we saw against a little bit against the yankees there it can happen the jays have to lose out and the rays have to win out for that to happen i don't see that happening I'm just saying on a pot, like on a level of possibility, they need to take these games yep. still seriously yep. and, and go like, I know they've already penciled Manoa in for game one, um, which makes sense, but you still have to have your guys going to, to win these games. And if, if it's not happening today, then that's, you know, you still have to finish out strong. You can't have weak performances going. I, I don't disagree with any of that. Another reason I want to play the, the Mariners, I want to see Julio Rodriguez. I don't want to see G-Man Choi. Like, I've seen enough of him. I want to I want to play the team that I, I haven't already watched the, the Jays play 18 times this year. And when you're in those Tampa Bay games, it feels like you – and for every one of those games, it feels like two games. Like, I feel like we've played them 40 times this year. Like, it's – I just don't want to see that. I want to see the the Seattle Mariners because I don't get to see them that often, and they've got you know a really a really exciting lineup. I mean, I want to see Julio Rodriguez. I want to see Robbie Ray. Like, who doesn't? I, I love that guy. It's it, to me, it's just the the sexier matchup. And, and I might be completely off base. There's probably people out there going, "I want Tampa because I want to beat them." And I sure I don't want Tampa because <laughs> I just know <laughs> we're not going to beat them. Yeah. Just done with them. Just tired of them. Absolutely. Who's your starting three pitchers going into the wild card series? Well, Manoa and Gosman are going to go one and two. That's for sure. I got to believe Stripling's going to get game three over Brios. And that's just, to me, Brios has been great in 75% of the starts, but he's been back in 25% of the starts. And if you get bad in a winner-take-all game three, you're really going to wish you had started stripling. So I got to believe that it's going to be Manoa, Gosman, Stripling. 
And if they get into the next round, then I think you'll see Barrios in the rotation because it's uh, it's kind of a funky um, schedule this year as well in the playoffs where they're 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 getting breaks at awkward times. So it's going to lend to having to have a four man rotation in the playoffs. If they get to the second round, you will see Brios start a game. I don't think you see it in in uh, the wild card round. I think Brios might be the second man up after Stripling in a game three potentially, or Brios will be if let's say Manoa struggles in game one and you know is looking shaky. I think Brios would be the guy to come in and try to mop it up. He's he's kind of the the one B two B three B where if if one of the guys looks like they're having a shaky outing, he'll be up fast because he is still probably the fourth best pitcher on that team. And some days he's the best pitcher, but I just don't think that you can justify starting him in a three game series. I just don't. Yeah, the, I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday's broadcast where. Uh, Buck and Dan were talking about the rotation and you, you have a three-man rotation and you would put Barrios on it as a fourth in case someone takes a line drive off the shin or as you say has a shaky start because it is you need to have that guy that can go long innings but also if you say Gosman goes game two and goes an inning or less because it's not going great. You know, you can bring them in, but you also have these guys preparing. Like, you'd have to have Brios preparing every day like he's starting. Now, whether yep. that would work out or not, because the routine is different, whether that's going to drain him and make sure, like, if he's going to have his best stuff getting ready three days in a row, you never know. But, so let's talk. Our three starters, because I agree, you're looking at Manoa, Gosman, and Stripling. Is that the order you're going in? Manoa, Gosman, and then Stripling? I think that depends on what happens in game one. Uh, if you win game one, then I think you might flip-flop Stripling and Gosman. If you lose game one, the Gosman's definitely going in game two. I think that is potentially up for debate. And the only reason I say that is, say you do end up, you know, you win game one, and then you actually end up winning game two with the stripling starting, then you got Manoa or uh, Gosman ready to start game one of the next series. I just, you, you, you're never throwing away a ball game in any manner, but I think, would you feel more comfortable having Gosman on the mound in a winner take all game through your stripling? I think the team would say Gosman, but you know, there's the other side of the coin. Well, if you throw him out there for game two and win, you don't have to worry about game three. So I don't know. I, I think it's Gosman will go game two and Stripling game three, but it, I could see the scenario where that changes depending on the outcome of game one. Well, if, if I'm John, John Schneider or in his shoes, if I'm the Blue Jays manager, my three-game rotation is Manoa, Stripling, and Gosman because I'm going to go with the two best pitchers on in the rotation that give me the best chance to win those two games. And Gosman's no slouch. Like that's easy. He was 12 and 10 on the season, but there were times where he struggled. And really, Ross hasn't like brought, he's what 10 and four or something. His, you know, and he missed time. He probably would have had a better record if he didn't get injured there and miss a few starts. But Ross Stripling 
as you know odd as it sounds didn't start in the five-man rotation but he since coming in has been one of the more consistent Blue Jay starter and to me that has earned him game two that I would go Manoa obviously first he's the ace and then I would go Stripling and then I would go Gosman it's however this goes it, the Jays have three legit starters that they're going to throw out there if, if you in a three-game series I don't think they're going to get out pitched by I shouldn't say out pitched they very well could get out pitched I don't think they're going to get outclassed by the quality of pitchers that they're throwing out there Manoa's as good as anyone in the game Gosman when he's on is uh, virtually unhittable and stripling is Marco Estrada <laughs> of 2015 he's just he's hard to hit and get good contact off of so I'm comfortable with the starting staff heading into any series except maybe against Houston, that one. <laughs> let's, let's hope somebody knocks Houston out. <laughs> Is anyone really, though? <laughs> Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Yeah. Uh, but I I don't feel like I did a couple of years ago when we were going into that three-game series against Tampa Bay at the Trop where we had one good starter, we thought, and we're unsure. Like, remember that the talks around the rotation in, in 20, was it 2020, in the shortened season, where I was like, the, the three names they were mentioning then, you just knew you were going to lose that series. I don't have that doubt as like this year. I feel like whoever the Jays do put out there on the bump, it's going to give them a legit chance to win. Does it mean they're going to win? No, it just, they're not going to get like outclassed on the pitcher's mound. Yeah. So let's talk the, we've talked a lot about the pitching, the fielding. Who's making the, the playoff roster and who isn't? Right, we got Santiago Espinal and Guriel Jr. Um, trying to make it back in time for the end of the season. They're not it quite sounds like Espinal healthy. is going to be back. They haven't heard anything on Guriel. Uh, they're both doing some work on the field. I know Guriel was taking some pop ups uh, yesterday and the last couple of days, and they're both doing some running, but. You know, that's going to leave you with a bench of Otto Lopez, Bradley Zimmer, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Moreno. You can't carry them all. So who if those guys let's play the they're not coming back for the first for the wild card. Who are you keeping on that roster? Well, it's gonna be Zimmer, Bradley Jr., and probably Moreno, I'm gonna say. Because the Jays are gonna be fielding a lineup that's gonna have both Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk in it. I believe. Uh, I don't know if Guriel's going to be back, but the way they're both hitting right now, you're going to have two catchers in that Blue Jays lineup. I think you have to have the third catcher on the roster in case you're ever in a situation that you have to pinch run. And I do believe for defensive purposes, you're going to have to have Bradley Jr. and Zimmer on the lineup. Now, if Guriel Jr. is back, then you may not carry Zimmer on the playoff roster. I think you would probably give those reps to... Jackie Bradley Jr., but again, not 100% sure how that's going to play out. But to me, the odd man out is probably going to be Otto Lopez, and I do believe they'll carry uh, Moreno. Rymel Tapia seems to be coming into his own later on in the year, and he's not uh, a free out. He's he's not a free out in the lineup. He's As a number seven, eight-hole hitter, he's been good. He has yeah. been good. I've been very impressed with Tapia. So he's really played his way into potentially receiving regular postseason at bats. It's 
all in all, the Jays have played really decent ball in September. They really have, and they're going in playing good baseball. A little worried about the defense, especially on you know the shortstop position, but I don't really want to get into that. Like we've beaten that to death. Whit Merrifield, I think. I don't know that Santiago Espinal comes back and takes Whit Merrifield out of the lineup. I, Merrifield's been playing some pretty good baseball the last couple of weeks. I, I, I don't think it's it's Espinal just coming in and taking a spot. I really don't. And I don't know if Goriel coming Junior Goriel Junior coming back takes his spot either. Like Whit Merrifield has no. played good ball, so it's a it's a good luxury when you're talking about you have too many okay good players that's a good luxury to have and when you're it when you're talking about you know not getting bradley zimmer any at bats that's a good thing like that that's a good thing there i feel like you know one of our one of our concerns heading into the season was organizational depth and i think the acquisitions of jackie bradley jr and whit merrifield have gone a long way in solving that organizational depth because you've got good players on your bench. And if there is an injury or if someone is struggling, you can make a change. That's a good luxury to have. Well, Whit Merrifield, I think in the last couple of weeks, this month has really, is the Merrifield they traded for. That's the guy they were kind of expecting. And he's been doing, he's versatile. He can play the infield, he can play the outfield. Huge addition to fix that depth. Um Merrifield, yeah, I think he could be the second baseman if you're carrying uh, Espinal, right? Like I, I, he's a good option off the bench. But right now, you got to go with your hot hand. If Gurriel Jr. comes back, I don't know that he has outplayed Tapia this year, and that's just right. Like I mean, to me, Tapia has been considered. He's hitting what, 265, 270-ish right now. He's getting on base. He's stealing bases. He can go first to third. He can go. He can do all those things. Gurriel's had some struggles this year, I think, consistency-wise. Yeah, but Gurriel, when he went out, was hitting 291. Like, he, the power is down, but the getting on base is there. I Gurriel Jr., to me, if, if he's healthy, he's in the lineup, and that's probably going to come at the expense of Tapia. But... If it's not working, you can easily make that change. There's the depth there to reverse to what's worked for you the last couple or the last month. Uh, again, it's a good luxury to have, especially if Gurriel Jr. is healthy and in the lineup. Say he does. Say he's his timing is off, and he's say he goes over eight in the first two games, and you're down to a ga- uh, winner take all game three. Well, then at least you know you have Tapia you can go to. Well, here's the thing, too, is when you look at the lineup, where are you putting George Springer? Is Springer the top of the D- lineup, 100%. No, 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 no. DHing or in the field. In the field. Because his, his arm still isn't 100%. Yeah, but you want both catchers in the lineup. You want Kirk and Jansen in the lineup. They're both hitting well. He will 100% be center field every game. Yeah. I just, you know, his arm is limited and with the throws and such. Is there the potential by putting him out there? You could, you know, risk further injury, take him completely out of the lineup. That's yeah. always kind of been a thing. It's the playoffs, but also, you know, we talk, talked to player safety earlier. Yeah. What's going to be best for Springer going forward in next season? Because you don't want him getting hurt in the playoffs and then missing half the season for 
next year for whatever reason. It's it's a good problem to have because you have a guy like Tapia who isn't just a, well, we can put him in for defense, but we're not going to get a hit. Well, we can't, you know, there's a lot of options you have with him. He's put himself in to look like an everyday player because of injuries and things like that. He hasn't looked out of place. I've been really impressed with his performance this year, kind of going into it, not knowing much about him at the start of the season after the Gritchick uh, trade, but I'm impressed with what he's done. You know, it's not, you know, top 10 numbers in anything, but the consistency of getting on yep. base, he's done a really good job. The Jays have done a pretty good job with Springer down the stretch as well, giving him some days off in the field and letting him DH and and throwing Bradley Jr. into center field. I think the Jays have done a pretty good job of limiting that end of things for George Springer. Come the playoff time, and I know we talked about player safety earlier, come the playoff time, I'm fairly confident that the Jays are going to risk it with George Springer. And whether they should or not, that's a whole other conversation. I'm pretty sure he will be the starting center field in every playoff game because they want Jansen and Kirk. But if there's even any inkling at all that his elbow – or whatever is is not 100%, then I'm pretty sure you'll see the lineup they've been rolling out uh, relatively recently with Jackie Bradley Jr. in center and maybe only one of uh, Jansen or Kirk in the lineup. So one player we haven't talked about. Has Kevin Biggio earned himself a spot on the playoff roster? Yeah, because he's a lefty. You, you At some point, you're going to want that left-handed bat coming up. He's got a little bit of speed. He's versatile. Uh, Kevin Biggio, he's been through thick and thin with this team. You cannot leave him off the playoff roster, in my opinion. He's he's a glue guy. The guys like him. I I don't see a scenario where he's not on the playoff roster. Yeah, but being that glue guy and been there, like you're talking, you know, we talk about a lot of times about, oh, he got the award on reputation. Yeah. Right? Like his batting isn't. Is his is his at bats? And I know I've talked about he he has a good eye up there. That doesn't mean it results in anything. But is he a better hitter than a Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, Tapia? We know Zimmer isn't right, but Zimmer might be on that roster because of his defense. And you know, do we need another guy on a playoff roster who can't necessarily sometimes get it done at the plate? I'm not convinced he's going to get into any of the playoff games. He's an insurance policy, but I he'll be. I have to believe Kevin Biggio will be on the playoff roster. I just don't see a scenario where he's not. He he's a he. You can use him as a pinch runner, especially if, if Zimmer's not going to be on the playoff roster. Then there goes that speed element. You might bring in Kevin Biggio because he is a good base runner. So I'm not convinced he's going to get into the lineup for any of the games, and I don't think I'm off base by saying that, but it's, it, again, it goes to the organizational depth. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world that Kevin Biggio is on your roster. Cause that just tells you, you have a little bit of depth. He has the ability to play the infield and the outfield. So there's that in his favor as well, but so does Merrifield, right? Yep. Like, so yep. and again, like, if you're going to bring Guriel and um, Espinal back, well, that's a, you know, Otto Lopez goes back. Does Moreno stay? Because that's the other thing. If you bring both of them back, you have a decision to make on Moreno and Otto Lopez. Or and Zimmer. Lopez and Zimmer, right? You already DFA'd him once and he took free agency and 
ended up back on your roster, but there's your choices you got to make there. I know it's, it's expanded rosters as well. So maybe they only have to look at one, but what do you do? Right. There's, there's a lot of decisions. And unfortunately some of those bench guys don't have the best numbers at the plate when you may need that, that production late in the game to win the series and make sure you get to continue playing. This is winner take all time now. And uh, you want to put your best foot forward. And unfortunately there's some guys that only do one or two things. Well, it's, it's not, they don't do everything well. They do one or the other. And it's tough if your entire bench is filled with that and it's all defense. Yeah. It's in a perfect world. The Jays are going to have their nine regulars healthy and their nine regulars playing and they score 10 runs a game and we don't have to worry about it. That's perfect, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're playing Jays baseball today by putting up two runs through the, through the way of the home run. So perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Blue Jays baseball hit home runs and worry about it later. Yeah. All I hope my biggest fear is the moment is too big for the Blue Jays. And it was in 20, what is it, 2020? The moment was too big for them. They weren't, it wasn't even competitive. The biggest fear is the moment's too big for them. And, you know, Vlad goes up there swinging like a maniac and everything, trying to hit balls 450 feet. Bichette goes up there swinging like a maniac or Bichette gets, you know, gets happy feet in the, in the, at shortstop and starts throwing balls away. And, and cause that very well could happen. That is my biggest worry with this team is the moment is too big. And you see it. And I want to believe that bringing in a guy like Matt Chapman and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. And, you know, a healthy George Springer been there, done that. I want to believe that these guys are going to settle everybody down, but it's Bo Bichette to me is the biggest X factor. And as to how good the Toronto Blue Jays are this off season or postseason, sorry, if, if Bo Bichette keeps mashing the ball, like he has in September, that's good, but I need the Bo Bichette defense. We can't get the the thrown away, the throwaways, the extra outs, the that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, Buck Martinez alluded to it on the broadcast a couple of days ago, where he went on a five minute rant tearing into this team for lackluster effort and and not playing championship baseball. You can't have that in the postseason. And my biggest worry is Bo Bichette. But Bo Bichette also is one of the biggest X factors that he, he can hit that three run home run when you really need it. And so they're as weird as this sounds, they're going to go as far as Bo Bichette allows them to. And I, I really feel that way. It's hard to, you need clean baseball. That's what you need. And if you get that, then this team's sky's the limit. This team can win the world series, but if the moment's too big, who knows? Well, you talk about playing that, and that's why I talk about winning these games against teams that they should. Championship baseball is playing 162 games, like every single one of them matters because they do. And right now for the Jays, all 162 games absolutely matter. So they need to keep playing and then take that into the playoffs. Take that winning way into the playoff series and keep it going. That is championship baseball. You have to play 162 and you have to play every series in, in in the playoffs like it's the last one. You have to play it like you are on the brink of elimination. 
Because if you don't, you don't have that urgency and that readiness to go out and win. And they just have to play fundamentally sound. They have to. Mm-hmm. They, you have to do the little things right. And you that's make that hard play. Like you're going to have to make some difficult defensive plays through the course of the playoffs. You have to make those plays. You can't give extra outs. And that's yeah. not just Boba Shat. That's everywhere. That's you can't have that lapse in judgment and you can't, you know, get caught trying to stretch a single into a double because you were admiring it off your bat. You can't get caught trying to stretch a double into a triple because it's a sexy stat. You have to play clean, fundamentally sound, smart baseball. And you have to play some small ball as well. And you're going to need the Whit Merrifields and Santiago Espinals of the world getting that runner over from second to third. And then you're going to need Danny Jansen to hit the sack fly. You have to score those runs and you have to play just clean baseball. Yeah. Clean, smart baseball. Like it just, it comes down to that. You play smart and then you got a chance to win every game. Exactly. Exciting times though. We are getting playoffs. Should be a great series. Whoever the Jays end up playing at, uh, it's going to be pretty exciting times. Jays fans, let us know what you think at the BleacherCon 1, at the BleacherCon 2 on Twitter. Speaking of exciting things, Trevor, we didn't talk about this on the opening, but this is episode 99. And if basic math tells me anything, our next episode is episode 100. <laughs> 100 episodes. 100 Dude. times we have sat down to do this. Next week. Well, actually, 101, because you didn't hit the record button on that one interview. <laughs> that was a rehearsal day, so technically it doesn't count. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did hit record today, right? Yes, yes I did. <laughs> Very exciting. Uh, we're, we've got a, a bit of a special episode plan. We're going to be recording it uh, early this week. Obviously, with Canadian Thanksgiving coming up, we have some family commitments. And with the start of the NHL season coming up, we we got to talk hockey. We're going to be recording a little bit earlier this week for our hundredth show. We got something kind of special planned and then it's going to be a NHL preview show. It's exciting times. It's our favorite season and we have to talk some hockey and I'm excited. (laughs) Absolutely. It's always a good time when you get to uh, try and play predictor. And again, remember if you want to, you know, place your bets on who's going to win the cup, who's going to win the divisions, listen to our show, bet differently. You'll do really well. And uh, you'll probably make some money. We, if we were to bet on what we think, we would be broke. I already am <laughs> broke. So yeah, <laughs> that's why we don't bet. It, it's, it's already there, but it's, it's a lot of fun. You get to uh, get to rip on some teams. You get to appraise some teams and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So Looking forward to that. That's our show for the... Oh, before we go there, make sure to check out Belly Up uh, Sports. Check out the website, bellyupsports.com. Make sure to check out uh, Belly Up Sports TV. Uh, check it out Tiki Live, a lot of other streaming services. Search it out. A lot of great shows. Make sure to check out the articles that are coming out uh, on the website if you're into the fantasy football, which it is football season, still early. If you're into any leagues... Go to the homepage, find all the shows that talk NFL fantasy. You will not be disappointed. There is a lot of them. Check it out. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. But we want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. 
We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.